I know we did things a little differently this morning, um, but we are still in our sermon series, if we go a few slides over, the armor of God. And as John says, the armor of God is not to be confused with loungewear. He was very excited about that sermon series title. Um, and today we're going to be focusing on the gospel of peace. So we're going to have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Um, what I love about this section in scripture is that it's such a powerful metaphor um, for the kingdom of God. And so Paul is reminding the church about power, all these different powerful forces at work. So the two powerful forces, um, and we'll go one more slide, sorry, to, um, yeah, perfect power is um, that there is these evil powers at work in the world, these powers and principalities in the heavenly realms that want to cause destruction, that want to oppress people, that want to bring us down, that want to thwart any plans of God's peace. And then there's the power of Christ that rose Jesus from the dead, that is making all things new, that is restoring all of creation. And so these are the two powers that are at war. This is the battle that is raging in the heavenly realms that Paul is talking about. And Paul is reminding us that beyond the things we see in flesh and blood, the evil we see, that there's something more sinister, there's something deeper going on. There's an unseen battle behind the evil and the things that we see going on in our world. And Paul encourages us that there is hope. Our hope is to stand in this battle through not our own strength, but through relying on the Lord and his mighty power. But how do we access this mighty power? How do we rely on God? How do we wage this battle? How do we fight as God wants us to fight? Paul thankfully gives us a cheat sheet and uses a common image of a Roman soldier and all the different pieces of armor that a Roman soldier of the day might be wearing. And then Paul ties each piece of armor to a specific characteristic or virtue that God wants us to put on that Jesus shows us how to live out. And so these virtues, we've talked about some of them, but they're truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. And so only through our reliance on God and his mighty power and these strategies of God do we have any hope of waging this battle against the powers and the principalities. But as I've said, we have access to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and that is redeeming and restoring the entire cosmos. We know that we are ultimately on the side of the winners. We know that God wins and that one day we will proclaim with all creation that our God reigns. So that is what we have to look forward to. And that is what we are called as followers of Jesus to embody and to proclaim even now. So please pray with me as we prepare our hearts to receive God's word. So God of peace, open our eyes and our hearts to your kingdom of peace that is advancing, that is all around us. Show us how to have feet that are fit with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Help us in our words and our deeds to embody the truth that even though evil is present, evil is advancing, our God reigns and shall one day fully reign. And we pray all of this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So now we're going to read um, 
on the screen, or if you have your own Bible, feel free to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. So, and this we've read again and again during this sermon series, but it's always good to repeat scripture and really just soak it in. So finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I said this morning, we're going to focus on verse 15, which encourages us to have feet that are ready to proclaim and to embody the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. So first, what am I saying? What am I talking about when I refer to this gospel of peace? So earlier in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul tells us that through the blood of Christ, we are brought near to God. Jesus himself is our peace. And we are reconciled to God and enjoy the peace between us and God because of the death of Jesus. But the Bible and the gospel does not stop there. It does not just stop with our reconciliation with God. No, not only are we reconciled to God, but we are reconciled to each other, especially those who we see who are our enemies or who um, the powers and principalities want us to be separate from. God reconciles us to them too. So Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. But now in Christ Jesus, you, he was talking about the Gentiles who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh with the law its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So I know that's a lot of words, and it's kind of like a mini seminary class, but the gospel of peace that Paul is talking about, he is talking about there was actually a wall um, outside of the temple that prohibited um, the Gentiles from entering, and there was this animosity and enmity between these two groups. And so Paul is saying that because of Jesus, this animosity, this them being enemies, this doesn't have to be the reality in, anymore. In Jesus, there's a new reality, there's a new kingdom where we can be reconciled to those that we hate, we can be reconciled to those who are our enemies, and it's only through the blood of Jesus that this is possible. 
So that's what the gospel of peace is, that we are in this new creation, a whole new reality, a reality that's different than the powers and principalities that want us to be separate from one another, that want us to fear those who are different than us, that want us to oppress people, that want us to hoard our own things. The gospel of peace is different. The gospel of peace is beyond all of that. It's a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of being that Paul is inviting us to put on, that Paul is inviting us to enact in our lives. So over the past several years, God has been teaching me more about this gospel of peace. God has been showing me that the gospel that I grew up with, that reconciled me to God, that that was important, that that changed my life, but it wasn't the whole story. If we end just that God has restored us, that God has forgiven us, we are missing out on so much of the gospel. The gospel says that we can be reconciled to others, that we don't have to be entrenched in the same patterns of sin and darkness with our families, in our communities, in our systems. God has a new way for us. And this way, I'm sure many of you are familiar with this word, um, but it's a Hebrew word, and this concept is talked about in the Old and the New Testaments, and this is the concept of shalom. And this describes God's ultimate vision for the world. So shalom isn't like a piece that's kind of weak and just talks about a feeling like, I feel good. No, shalom is talking about total well-being and prosperity and where all relationships are reconciled. So our relationships to God, to creation, and to each other. Um, shalom stops at nothing less than those relationships being redeemed and restored. So again, the good news of the gospel of peace through the death and resurrection of Jesus is that we can have peace with God and peace with each other. And in a world that is groaning, in a world filled with violence, in a world filled with hate, this is amazing news. This is good news that in Isaiah, um, the prophet talked about the messenger who brings peace, who talks about the good news that God's reign is here. This is the good news that we can proclaim as followers of Jesus. And we can proclaim that even though God's kingdom is not fully yet realized, that one day God will reign, God's kingdom will be here in its fullness. And even now we can participate in that kingdom, we can work for peace, we can receive God's peace, we can offer it to others. We can strap on our sandals of peace and we can walk. And in our walking, in our traveling, in our journeying with God, we can spread peace to the ends of the earth. So I know that's a lot of words and it's a lot of beautiful imagery that the Bible talks about, but what are some practical ways? What are ways and even frameworks that could help us live our lives worthy of this gospel of peace, to put on these feet or these shoes of peace? What are some ways that we can do that? So number one, one way I just wanted to have us think about this morning is simply telling the truth. So telling the truth telling the truth about our sin, the sin that we have in our own lives, and the sin of the systems and the institutions that we are a part of. Because as John has been preaching about, the powers and principalities, they are infiltrating our culture, the systems, the institutions that we are a part of. And evil wants to win the day. Evil wants to separate us from one another, wants to promote fear between us. But no, the gospel of peace says that we should be honest about what's going on in our lives and be honest about the evil and sin that we are tangled up in. 
the hold that the powers and principalities have on us and our communities. And we need to be honest about this before we can genuinely work for any type of biblical peace. So unfortunately, a myth that pervades our culture is that forgiveness or peacemaking just kind of, we're all about smoothing things over, like, it's okay, it doesn't matter, it's fine, no worries. Um, it wasn't that bad. We just, we can move on, it's okay. We don't need to think about that anymore. We're over that. But that is wrong. And that's not how God forgives and that is not how God makes peace. If we are called to model God in this gospel of peace, in our peacemaking, we must remember that God names and calls out sin. And sin was so bad, sin was messing up God's good plans for creation, that God sent his one and only son to die and to be resurrected because sin was destruction. And so his death and resurrection had power over sin and death. So again, genuine peace only comes when we are honest about what is going wrong, where we messed up, and where we fell short, both on an individual and a communal level. Jesus is also our model in this. We know that if we read the Gospels, Jesus is kind and compassionate, but he was not nice. Jesus made people mad, especially the people in power. He was always confronting the powers and principalities through the people in authority. He confronted the scribes and Pharisees. He kept telling them, you do not understand this gospel of peace. You do not understand the kingdom of God that I am bringing, that I am inaugurating. So... As individuals, as co this congregation, as a community, we too have to humbly cry out and ask God, God, what have I done? Where am I blind? What have I missed? How am I a part of violence, hate, fear, mistrust, or the oppression that destroys and that crushes our world? How have these powers that Paul talks about, the powers and principalities, how have they gotten a hold of my heart and my mind? And even if I didn't want it to, how have they deceived and led me astray? We need to pray, show me God, show us God. And I truly believe that as we allow God to convict us and to liberate us, maybe in places that we didn't even know we needed conviction or liberation, that God might be able to open us up to our enemies, to experiences of people that we don't understand, and we might be able to more honestly weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. And when we're honest and when we lament that this can give birth to genuine seeds of the gospel of peace. So I came across a very real example of this truth telling that allows for peace last night as I was just lamenting over the fires in Maui and in Lahaina. Um, we have some people in our congregation who were there this week and my twin sister was there. And so I was looking up um, Lahaina Methodist Church, and um, this is the destruction. So I've been there before, and they're our, kind of our sister denomination. Um, but the fire, I think there's over like 90 people that the death toll has increased to now, and it just destroyed this um, historical and beautiful city of Lahaina. And so it's just devastating. And it was devastating. I went on the Lahaina Methodist Church Facebook page, and I just saw this picture um, that it's all just destroyed except for this little sign. And I was just lamenting and it just felt like I was preaching about peace, but where is peace, where is God's peace when things like this happen? And so I was tempted to despair, to give up, 
to say that evil will win. Um, or, you know, we have these thoughts and they come up. But then I was greatly encouraged and I just wanted to share with you guys what the pastor said on the Facebook page. Because I think it's a good example of what the gospel of peace entails. So he says, when Lahaina Town rebuilds, we will not emphasize short-term financial goals over people, the environment, and the culture of the people of Maui. We will envision a Lahaina with vibrant communities, infrastructure that respects our ecosystem, and a culture that respects and honors the historical roots of Maui and all the Hawaiian people. We must not forget this horrible tra tragedy and let the same thing happen again. We must not forget. When we rebuild, we must fight to make the people and our environment the priority. Jesus told his disciples as he was empowering them to carry on his work. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this pastor wrote this message just after his whole town has been burnt to the ground. After, I think they just had a big capital campaign at this church. They were celebrating the 100-year anniversary, and their church is burned to the ground. Yet this pastor did not despair, but this pastor, he had hope in the kingdom of God. He had hope in the peace, the gospel of peace of God. He had hope even in the midst of truth-telling. He knew that this was horrible, that things were done wrong, and that they would have to remember that they would have to be different, but he held on to this hope in the kingdom of God. So I just really wanted to share that because it was such a powerful vision to me of what the gospel of peace could actually look like on a communal level. And I also encourage you, um, you can look up Lahaina Methodist Church online, and there's places to donate if you want to donate to their rebuilding efforts. Um, there's ways to donate online. So the gospel of peace, it's not Pollyanna optimism, though I love that movie, but it's honest. It's honest, and it confronts the evil powers at work in our world, and it does not give up hope on God's reign in the here and the now. So again, let's learn from this pastor how to tell the truth about our lives and communities and to not lose hope because our God ultimately reigns. So number two, another way we can embody the gospel of peace, and none of this is easy, this is only through the power of God, but it's through building relationships with those who we deem to be other. Those people who get under our skin, the people we see their posts pop up on social media and we immediately hide them and maybe report them to Facebook or something. Um, those are the people that God is inviting us to build a relationship with. It doesn't mean we have to trust them necessarily. Um, we have to be safe. But God is inviting us to learn from those who are different, to be in actual relationship with those who we really just want to avoid who we view as them. So anyone we talk about who's them, God wants us to be in relationship with them, to actually know them, to listen to them. But the powers and principalities, they want to promote and to sustain the hostility and the animosity. So back in Paul's day, they wanted the Jews and Gentiles to continue to fear one another, to hate one another. But again, Paul urged the Ephesians that there is a new way provided by Christ, a way of peace and reconciliation. Paul explained that the reality that the walls that separate and alienate people from one another, they have been broken down by the work of Jesus on the cross. 
And Paul says to the Ephesians that God has made one humanity in the place of two. God has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. So as I already said, this wall that goes in front of the temple in Jerusalem is a vivid image of this division that separated the Jew and the Gentile. And it's an amazing image of God tearing that wall down, tearing down that hostility, tearing down the alienation that separated them. And in God's kingdom, there's this new reality that allows us to reconcile. So like the Jews and Gentiles, we are called to break down walls that separate us and that defy the good news of the gospel of peace. We are called to tear those walls down. And we can live into this reality by building friendships with people from a different political party, um, with people from a different ethnic background, with people who are a different age than us, or people that speak a different language. The enemy wants us to stay apart. The enemy wants us to be polarized, especially the church. The enemy is sowing seeds of dissension, seeds of hatred, even in the church. And the gospel of peace says no to that. The gospel of peace gives us a new way, gives us a new possibility. So during our final song, I'm going to invite us later on to pray and ask God, God, who is that person, who is that them that you want me to build a relationship with? Who are the people that, oh, they just get under my skin that I don't want to be in a relationship with? And I'm really curious how God's going to speak to me and to all of us about who those people might be and how God might want to creatively um, destroy those walls that separate us. So number three, the last thing I want to talk about today that can help us embody, to help us really live out this gospel of peace, to put on those sandals of the gospel of peace, it requires not a passive sitting back, but it requires us to be active, to actively confront the powers and principalities in our world through words and deeds. We are to proclaim with our actions and the places where our feet takes us that our God reigns, that his kingdom of peace is here. So Frederick Buechner, he's a theologian, um, and I thought this quote was really compelling. And so he says, and convicting, he says, if you want to know who you really are as distinct from who you like to think you are, keep an eye on where your feet take you. Keep an eye on where your feet take you. So not where our words take us, not where even our prayers take us, but where do our feet take us? So our feet, not our words, is what we can use to live out the gospel of peace. It's what we can use to live out this tearing down the walls of hostility. We can use our feet to walk towards someone who is different than us. We can use our feet to confront any powers and principalities that oppose the peace that we have found in Jesus. So a man of God who is one of my heroes and who I think just illustrates this in an incredible way, um, this gospel of peace, is the late Bishop Desmond Tutu. And so I'm going to read a story about him that I found in an article by John Ortberg. He's a pastor. Um, and it's just a really powerful story. So I just invite you to be captivated by this man and what he did and how he displays um, the gospel of peace. So I'm going to read um, this story. So if you guys don't know, he's the um, 
or was the bishop in South Africa under apartheid. And so the story says, when the South African government canceled a political rally in the marketplace against apartheid, Bishop Desmond Tutu led the people out from there into a worship service in St. George's Cathedral. And so soldiers came in and they lined. So imagine soldiers were lining our entire sanctuary and they had their bayonets and their guns and they were ready to close the worship service down. And Bishop Tutu was not afraid. He began to speak of the evils of the apartheid system, how it was dehumanizing and how the rulers and authorities who were encouraging it, that they were doomed to fail. And he pointed a finger at the police and he said, you may be powerful, very powerful, but you are not God. God cannot be mocked. You have already lost. And then the story goes that in that moment of silent tension where the whole room was like, oh, what's going to happen? He just called out people holding all these guns. Um, the story says that Bishop Tutu, he's known for his smile, so he began to soften. And he came out from behind the pulpit and he flashed a smile and he began to dance up and down with glee. And he said, therefore, to the people carrying the guns, you have already lost. Since you have already lost, we are inviting you to stay and to join the winning side. And then the whole crowd erupted in applause and praise and the people began to dance and the, and the police went out the door. Um, so I just feel like that's such a beautiful example of what the gospel of peace is. That the gospel of peace can just unite people who had nothing in common. And the gospel of peace reminds us that God is the ultimate um, victorious one in the kingdom of God. In this battle of the powers and principalities and peace, God wins. So this is the gospel of peace. Bishop Tutu knew that the evil of apartheid and racism he was dealing with was deeper than flesh and blood. He knew he was battling evil forces, powers, and principalities that will one day be destroyed by Christ on his return. Bishop Tutu knew that even though it might not look like it right now, he was on the winning side, a side that proclaims the good news of the gospel of peace found in Jesus Christ. A side filled with beautiful feet who will never stop proclaiming the good news that our God reigns. So I want to close with a prayer from Desmond Tutu that will hopefully encourage us in this battle against these powers and principalities that try to dehumanize us. And I hope that this prayer will help encourage us as Paul wanted us to, to keep putting on the armor of God, to keep lacing up our sandals of peace, to keep proclaiming the truth that our God reigns now and also at the end of the age that our God will fully reign when Jesus comes again. And so this is the prayer from Desmond Tutu. And it's called, Victory is Ours. Goodness is stronger than evil. Love is stronger than hate. Light is stronger than darkness. Life is stronger than death. Victory is ours through him who loves us. Amen. May it be so. And so as the worship band returns, um, I'm going to invite us into a time of prayer and reflection where we can listen to God, where God can bring all of this down to the level that we're at, where we're at, and what our next step is. So first, um, we're going to confess and have God search our hearts. 
Then we're going to ask God if there's a specific person or group of people that he wants us to learn more about. And then finally, we're going to see what is that next action step? Where does God want our feet of peace to take us? Our shoes of peace of readiness to take us. Um, So I invite everyone to please close your eyes and join me in this time of prayer. And then we'll close with a final song after that. So God, we thank you, Lord, um, that you are a forgiving God. You are God, um, Lord, who forgives us when we don't live up to your gospel of peace, God, when we fail, when we get co-opted by these powers and principalities, Lord, you forgive us. So right now, Lord, we come to you and we confess, what are the ways that we have not followed you, God, that we have not shared this gospel of peace in our lives? Lord, show us now, what is it, Lord, that we are missing? Jesus. And then now I invite you to ask God, God, is there a person or a group of people, God, that you want me to be open to learning more about, to being in a relationship with God, to sharing your peace with them, receiving your peace from them, God? Who are those people or who is that person, God? Show us now. You are a God who can do miraculous things. above. We can't do any of this without the work that you did on the cross, God. You are the one who makes it possible for us to be reconciled with those who are different than us, God. And Lord, like Paul encourages us, we want to put on the full armor of God, including um, the sandals of the gospel of peace. We want to proclaim your peace and your kingdom, God. So show us now, what is that next step for us? What is that one next step that you have for us, Jesus? work of peacemaking, of sharing your good news, of proclaiming your peace without you, God. You are with us. You are the author of peace. You are so creative in how you call us, God. So we thank you that you are with us as we take these steps. And so, Lord, we just pray all of this, Lord, in your name. Lord, you are the peace of our lives, God. You make peace with us and you allow us to have peace with others. 
So we pray all of this in the mighty and peaceful name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so I invite everyone to please stand for the blessing. So this is a blessing um, from Paul earlier in Ephesians. And so Paul says, and this is my blessing to all of us, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So go in peace, living spirit.